1 Samuel chapter 28. It's an exciting chapter. It's not much fun right now for me. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's just almost a reflex. God became his enemy. That's the title. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28. Sort of a parenthesis, this chapter between the build-up of the Philistine troops and the battle that is about to happen in uh, chapter, in the following chapters. And uh, this, in this chapter, we have an encounter with the witch at Endor, at least Saul does, and divination, or contact with the dead to get the future, to find out what's going on, that's what he's after, is forbidden by God. It is a sin for the living to try to contact uh, those who have died. Uh, The Bible makes this very clear, and the conclusion is prayers to Mary, along with the Hail Marys, are a sin. They're forbidden. And this is not retracted in the New Testament. It is actually continued. And uh, that prohibition by God does not seem to matter to some, and, and that's unfortunate. But that's what Bible study is for, to find out what God is telling us, what he wants from us. And so he cannot just pass over these things. They are still in effect. Mary does not get a pass. And now we look at verse 1. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. Well, of course, David had by this time a a battalion, 600 men. This is the largest Philistine gathering recorded for war uh, since they faced off with Goliath. And the Philistines wisely have been taking advantage of Saul's underdevelopment of his military. Uh, They know he hasn't been developing it. He's been too busy chasing David. So they have been fortifying themselves, and now they feel, oh, we're ready now. We We can go and take Saul out, and that is exactly what is going to happen. They did not factor in when David comes to the throne, he's going to be superior to them, far superior than what Saul was. And so they've been planning this attack. They're ready to attack. Saul is not ready to defend, again, because of his quarrel with David, which cost him everything. In the end, his sons will perish with him. He dies. It's just a sad story. Uh, He's he's being ill-prepared. is not for any other reason than he turned his back on God. And not only did he turn his back to God, But he opposed God in in David. So with Samuel dead, David in this exile that he finds himself in, with the Philistines no less, the religious life amongst the Jews at this time was dim. I mean, you just, you know, the lights were low, the spiritual lights. And he, Saul, likely in the beginning of his reign as king, when Samuel was still such an influence in his life, he outlaws or enforces uh, the prohibitions against witchcraft. And he, he drives them out of the land. Now, if the Jews were practicing witchcraft, they were to be killed. They were not to be driven out of the land. It was the Canaanites that were to be driven out. Just a, a, a detail. We're not told 
the ethnicity of this particular witch. But anyway, he, he certainly he shuts it down. And uh, he outlaws the Canaanite practices of witchcraft, but he never provides in its place positive faith. He just he doesn't give you anything else. He, okay, stop doing that. And then he walks away. Instead of upholding righteousness, he defaced it. And Jesus gave the parable of the man who had the demon cast out. And the demon went out looking for a place to find for himself. And he said, I'll go back to where I came from. And he goes back and he finds the place cleaned and swept. It was void. There was nothing there to stop him from being repossessed. And uh, that is exactly what happened. In fact, it was seven times worse, Jesus said. And so we have a picture of that in Saul's days. Samuel's dead. David's in exile. Nothing spiritual coming out of, of, of Saul's reign. And uh, the conditions are right for the enemy to attack. And here it says in verse 1, Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. Well, he felt he owned that uh, pretty much owned David now because he felt David owed him for finding, uh, you know, a place to hide from Saul. And so he's thinking, David's allegiance to me is now solid. And David, uh, viewed as a mercenary, of course, does not agree with this, but he's not going to say it. He's going to come out and say, you know, Achish, that's crazy. Uh, he's not going to do that. But he's planning it. Verse 2, so David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. And David said, you know what I can do. You know I can take care of business. He's not saying who he can take care of it on. He is deliberately being ambiguous with this. And Achish is correct. You know, we talked about this in, in other sessions. Achish was a little too quick to uh, believe the positive things without considering the negative things. <clears throat> and he correctly perceives that David is talking about his battlefield skills. David is saying, you know what I can do on the battlefield. Well, there's certainly precedence for that. However, he was incorrect in identifying David's loyalties because he was presumptuous. He did not know that there was no way David was going to touch Saul or his people. David's been conducting raids against the Gentiles, uh, not his own people, and this was, of course, letting us know he's not siding with the Philistines at all, though he's lining up with them. And so uh, here they're getting ready. The warlords, incidentally, the other, the other four Philistine warlords, they're going to know. There's no way we're going to let David come with us to battle. Uh, and, and, of course, David's going to be chased out of there, and that will create a whole other uh, lesson in itself. You can't serve two masters. Christians try it often, too often. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's Matthew 6, verse 24. So, again, verse 2, toward the bottom now, And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. The translators, you know, I wish they just had more consistency. We've commented several times through, especially in the Old Testament, they have a, a very difficult job, and they do, overall, they do a very good job. But And thank you that we have the, uh, you know, we can look up the, the Hebrew and the Greek. Here's a terrible job, because 
in the New King James, it's translated, my chief guardians forever. Therefore, I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. But literally in the Hebrew is keeper of my head. I will make you one of the keepers of my head. So they collected heads. and No, they didn't. That doesn't mean that. It means he's the bodyguard. We're going to be one of the royal guards. This was not uncommon in the ancient world. Even as up into the days of the, the Roman Empire, they would employ foreigners in certain trusted positions, conquered enemies. Uh, Saul had Doeg the Edomite. David will have Itai the Gittite as one of his personal guards. And so it wasn't out of step. Uh, and David probably felt honored, but still his loyalties were not there. So verse 3 now, now Samuel had died and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. <laughs> well, he's repeating from chapter 25, Samuel's death. And he's coupling it with the banishment of the mediums, those who tried to have contact or go-betweens between the people in this life and the people no longer in this life, the dead. And what he is doing, the, the historian here, is he's setting up the story that, that is following because Saul is going to seek Samuel uh, amongst the dead. And this is big. I mean, this is blasphemy to the righteous Jew. Uh, selective obedience is one of the problems Saul had. He chose what he would obey if it served his purpose, and then he wouldn't obey anything else. And yet, then he boast about how great of them, you know, Lord Yahweh bless you, brother. And it was all a lie. And it's going to really come out now because his apostasy is just coming, uh, just full blown out in this, this chapter. So that you won't miss this guy when he's dead. In a couple of chapters, we'll find that. He will bring relief to the nation. In his life, in Saul's life, he even intimidated Samuel. At one point, Samuel told God, Saul will kill me if he finds out that I'm going to, to anoint David. He had rejected God's choice, King David, as his replacement. And he killed the priest at Nob and just, just a few things on his wicked resume. Arrogantly, he is going to try to dig up Samuel so he can find some direction from the underworld to save his own skin. This is a true story. This guy is really like this. There are other men and women that are messed up like this to this day. Fortunately, they aren't, they aren't everywhere. I mean, it would be tough to find a whole village of them. Like when you get to Solomon and you get the lady who says, I say cut the baby in half, <laughs> you know. This was a real story. A human being can become so demonically influenced that they are just uh, animalistic. Well, for Saul, putting the mediums out of the land was more, well, it's them versus us. It's Israel versus them. Then it was, the Lord wants this to happen, so I'm going to do it. That was not his motivation. Exodus chapter 22, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. That's it's a capital crime, to mess with the occult in Israel. Leviticus 19.31, give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them, to be defiled by them. I am Yahweh your God. 
Leviticus 20, verse 6, And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. And then Deuteronomy, which <laughs> lays it out, in case you didn't get it from Exodus and Leviticus, Deuteronomy is going to give it to you again. Now, let me pause there to say, the, what I'm reading is from the law of Moses. This is the law that David loves so much. This is what he, the whole, one, Psalm 119 mainly is centered in, in that Mosaic law. And these are the things that David would read, he knew about, and he loved this. But Saul, on the other hand, he did not have the same reaction. Deuteronomy 18, when you come into the land which Yahweh your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. We wish that Christians would be more in tune to this. But unfortunately, Christianity has been loaded with those who have leavened the clear teachings of the Bible with the murky teachings of the world because they just don't think the Bible's got enough, you know, uh, muscle to get it done. You got to go to the world if you're going to solve this problem. Uh, and that is a lie. And no one bothers to check the win loss column to validate this. They just go on assumptions. That's what my observation has been. But anyway, let's go back. Verse 10 now, Deuteronomy 18. <clears throat> he continues, Moses does. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to Yahweh, and because of these abominations, Yahweh your God drives them out from before you. So this, the language is comprehensive. It's bumper to bumper. It's like, in case you didn't understand what I meant by not talking to the dead, don't talk to mediums. In case you didn't get that, don't talk to soothsayers. And he's just very clear. And so that's going to make the crime of Saul even more defiant toward Yahweh as, as we move through this chapter. At the bottom of verse 3, it says, And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Uh, indicating that he knew this was wrong to have them in the land and therefore wrong to go to them. So, that's uh, uh, very... He's not so clever. He's spiritually... He is spiritually moronic. He really is. I mean, he might have been a, just a fun guy sitting around the table laughing and yucking it up with everybody. He could have been re really good at, uh, you know, curling or... Um, well, they didn't have much ice there, uh, so maybe shuffleboard. He could have just been a fun guy like that. But when it came to God, he was a monster. And he didn't mind killing people to prove it. Verse 4, Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped at Gilboa. Again, this fool king, a lot of people are going to be glad to be rid of him. Uh, so they're, they're, they're about 10 miles away from each other, the two camps, Saul's military forces and the Philistines. Shunem is in Ishakar's allotment of territory. I know you were wondering of that coming in this evening. It's like, well, I wonder where Shunem, who got that? Was it Agad? Or, oh, I didn't know it was Ishakar. Anyway, uh, verse 5, then Saul saw the army of the Philistines. He was afraid. 
when he saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Someone had to have observed this king visibly shaken by this massive army of Philistines. This is a catastrophic characteristic in a leader to, to show such a degree. I mean, it's one thing to show concern, but to be his, you know, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. This is the fifth time we've read about, read about this man being so terrified by human forces. We'll just take one at the battle. The battle had never happened. Well, happened after David got there with the Goliath at the Valley of Elah. First Samuel 17, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. It's not his name should have been left out of that sentence. It should have said, you know, maybe something like this. And all Israel heard the words of the Philistines. They were dismayed, but not the king. Even if he was on the inside, which he would have been. And so Saul lived a life of fear five times. Again, it comes out in First Samuel. It is on purpose by the Holy Spirit. He feared people. You know, he told Samuel, well, you know, I feared the people. So I, I sacrificed Samuel was livid. He said, it's clearly we're told that they feared David. He feared the Philistines. Dreadfully afraid. He feared men. But he didn't fear God. Why not? God was not real enough to him. People were real to him. He could see them. He could touch them. God just really was not into, he was not into God. Like Esau. Esau just, you know, uh, religion, Okay. But I'd rather go out and get things done. Well, do them both, Esau. I mean, Jacob was no lazy man. He was a hard worker. Your brother was a very hard worker. But he was still mindful of God. As Esau couldn't be bothered. And so God addresses that attitude. He says, Esau, uh, Jacob, I love Esau, I've hated. He's talking about the attitude in the two men. In a stark contrast. Verse 5, when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid in his heart. Okay, I read that one. Just check in to see if you're up. 1 Samuel 12, verse 24. This is what Samuel told Saul when he's making him king. Only fear Yahweh and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. You, you know, you, you couldn't even find your father's donkeys. God found them for you and still made you the king. And when it was time to point you out to the people there, you were hiding because you were afraid of everybody. And so Samuel says, fear God. He never, he never locked on to that. Sermons of Samuel did not register with this man. I mean, all heroes know fear. But the type of fear that paralyzes, that kind of fear, is, it comes th that we're talking about this evening. It evolves... From a disinterested heart in God. I think that's one of the great lessons of this 28th chapter. Because God's, Samuel's going to say to him to his face, you are now God's enemy. Who, how dumb do you have to be to do that? God is not looking to make enemies. Well, where David would have said, trust God. As Jesus told his disciples, have faith in God, trust him. When you, 
when you see things that are just beyond. Trust God. Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's saying, why am I depressed? That's what he's saying. I don't know why I feel so awful. Like I don't want to live. And then he, so he writes about it in a, in a prayer, in prayer format. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Then he says this, hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. That's the, you know, like the countenance of when you see a good friend and they see you and you both light up and the friend hails friend. Hey, it's good to see you. As opposed to what I do with my kids. Oh, it's you again. No, I don't. <laughs> but that's the contrast, of course. The fact is, uh, David felt very personal with God. And uh, that the, the Psalms had just rolled off of his heart. Saul had none of that. And it was there. He couldn't blame anybody. He had all the advantages and he used them against God. Verse 6, And when Saul inquired of Yahweh, Yahweh did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. He was cut off. Again, 1 Samuel 16. This is when Samuel is going to anoint David, a man after God's heart. But the spirit of Yahweh departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from Yahweh troubled him. Satan filled the void. God said, I'm out of here, fine, fine. And he withdraws. And Satan takes an opportunity to become the influencing force in his life. And we better get that lesson. At whatever age you are, you better get that lesson. Satan is out to influence you against God. And he's not going to stop for the rest of your life. So you better start as soon as possible learning how to fight and fend him off. Um, heaven had <laughs> it blocked Saul's calls. So, what does he do? He calls hell. That's what he does. Fine, God won't answer me, I'll call hell. Selective obedience. And Saul made it impossible for God to bless him. To use the, re everybody's got resources. Well, every, you know, overall, I mean, there's certainly folks that are born with great handicaps, but just typically, we all have some resource. Whether we develop it or not is another thing. And most of the time is some mood that gets in there and sours us. And it, bitterness is hard to get out. You can get it out. You get yourself a spiritual goat to eat that poison ivy out of your system because it is bad when you because you feel wrong, you feel justified, you hurt, all of these together. And and that is just the perfect storm for Satan against born again Christians in the church. And so someone that was once a bright, you know, lamp in the house of God is now opposed to that same house with no grounds. Satan is very busy with us. To him, we are worth it. To Satan, we are worth meddling with, destroying. And so, even when Saul obeyed God, it was self-serving, and therefore it was not authentic obedience. It was false. The genuineness of your faith, Peter said. Peter was that kind of man. He could spot something. This guy's fake. Although one time, you know, he gets to be fake too. And Paul calls him out on it. And he couldn't say anything against Paul. You know, yeah, I know. I, I act like a Gentile till these Jews from Jerusalem come up from James. Then I act like I don't want to be a Gentile. And Paul tells him, you know, you being a Jew don't want to be a Jew. But yet you want to lay it on the Gentiles to be a Jew that you don't want to be. How does that work? 
And then you took Barnabas with you. Okay, that was my devotion time this morning. I was into it. Anyway, verse, well, this year was. <laughs> verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. Oh, we got a big mess here. First off, yes, I mean, you know, it, the, the women tend to, to gravitate toward this particular sin at a faster rate than men. Don't worry, men, grow, men gravitate to other sins at a faster rate than women, such as violence. Uh, it balances out, but it is true. It's part of what Paul was talking about in, in Timothy's, uh, when he wrote to Timothy. And so, that, you know, this is who was really trafficking the, in the spiritualist form this way. Uh, don't forget... The uh, nearly a thousand prophets slayed at Mount Carmel by Elijah were men. If you're into keeping, you know, if you're one of those who are keeping score, man versus woman, I hope you're not. Anyway, uh, again, this continues the story of selective obedience. He selected which things he would obey. He selected which things he would not obey. He retained control. God was not Lord. The Lord did not select. Saul did. And so he said, fine. If God will not talk to me, I know which who will. He wants to get to Samuel. And, I mean, God wants a servant that will serve according to obedience. That's just what he did. Look, all the trees here, you can eat anything except this one. Is that too much to ask? Evidently, we accept that. Okay, now what do we do? Because if we were put in Eden, we probably would have done the same thing. In fact, we might have beaten Eve to the tree. So we don't judge Adam and Eve. It's too easy to judge your parents, pick on your parents. This is a kind of cowardly thing. Just leave it alone. Uh, pick on other people. <laughs> Not your pastor. Anyway, uh, selective obedience uh, not, it's not obedience. And it says here in verse 7, And his servant said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. How do you guys know that? How come you didn't tell me? I outlawed this. Why did you not blow the whistle? No, he's not. He doesn't care. He's, how accommodating. He's got men close to him who know about this stuff. They are eager and they are prepared to find him a witch. And he, this is the kind of people that he surrounded himself with people who ignored God along with him. And so he empties the land, Saul does, of the spiritists, again, without filling in the void with spiritual people, and he killed them. And it's just so obnoxious to just refuse the answer, no. And it's not, if it's not your place to do anything about that, then, then that's it. Anything other makes you a criminal. If you go to Walmart and you decide I, a towel shouldn't be on aisle four, you're going to put them on aisle two, you're going to have a problem. When they finally bailed me out for that, no. Verse 8. So, it'd be funny, right, if you go to Walmart and the aisles are on aisle, uh, the towels are on aisle four. And they really would do better on aisle two. It would make me a prophet. So Saul, verse 8, so Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes. Oh, this is just getting messy now. He's playing dress up. <laughs> and he went and two men with him 
And they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. The spiritual insanity, this guy is out of his mind. The wicked irony of using a witch to summon Yahweh's prophet. It is insanity. If God will not answer him, then he'll sidestep God to get to God's man. Now, you know, people, the Christians do similar things in the church. They can't get to the pastor. They'll try to get to one of the other pastors so they can get it to him or get to his wife so they can get to him. There may be a little insult, maybe something. That, you know, they'll try to traffic it through. Uh, he's just not going to say, all right, I'm just going to have to face the Philistines. No, he's going to try to still talk to Samuel. He is uh, the premier fool of the Old Testament, surpassed in the New Testament by Judas Iscariot. Uh, based on the information we have. I mean, there are other people worse than Saul, believe it or not. We just don't have an, that this much information. And so he finds heaven's door closed, but hell is open. Her doors are open with willing arms. There she is. If God will not answer me, I know someone who will, and I'll go to them, and I'll pay for it. Verse 9. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know that Saul, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums, and the spiritus from the land, why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? Well, she knew that what she was doing was forbidden and it was a capital crime. Leviticus 20, verse 27, a man or a woman who is a medium, and there men are doing it too, who has a familiar spirit shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Of course, in Galatians 5, for example, Paul lists this as one of the sins of the flesh that we are to just as right there with murder and any other sin. It is still prohibited. Christians are not to check their horoscope. Um, that's uh, looking for information from alternate spiritual sources is, is forbidden. Verse 10, and Saul swore to her uh, and Saul swore to her by Yahweh, saying, As Yahweh lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. He, again, he's out of his mind. No medicine can cure this guy. He is irretrievable. He dares to swear by the very God who forbids the thing he's doing. It's, it's, it's like saying grace over, you know, drugs. Illeg illegal drugs. I mean, it's just... It's this madness, you know, the, the cannibal that blesses his food. That's insane. <laughs> so, warped theology is no joke. Because theology, what you believe about God, influences one's behavior. That's why Paul said, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, old things become new. It's a new influence. Yes, the sins are forgiven. The canvas is wiped clean. The blood of Jesus Christ continues to wash it clean. But still, there's an influencing factor that can impact one's life, life negatively or positively. And so, in his warped theology, he, he, he uses Yahweh to validate the sin. So here's what the chronicler writes, 1 Chronicles 10. So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against Yahweh, because he did not keep the word of Yahweh. And also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire 
of Yahweh. Therefore, he, Yahweh, killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. He was blunt to the point with that. Uh, and there's more. We're going to get to them in verses 16 through 18. Samuel's going to also tell us why Saul is going to die. This death that he, this, this shameful death. Verse 11. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. Place your order. I'm going to fake it anyway. She's faking it. I mean, there is spiritual activity, but well, I'll, I'll bring that out in a moment. But he says, bring up Samuel. No need to specialize. Which one? You know, Samuel Jones or Smith? No need. We know who this Samuel is. And what a testimony to Samuel. Of all the people that you want to speak to, this man of God. Of course, he knew him personally in life. Uh, but Saul couldn't be helped by anyone. Isaiah writes this. Oh, I don't know. I'm doing the math. A hundred years later. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? They say, this doesn't make any sense. God is speaking to God is saying this through the prophet. Seek, you know, tell those who are dipping and dabbing in seances and trying to contact the dead world, tell them that this is... Um, this is useless and, and wrong. And he says, seek Samuel, bring up Samuel for me. It's always about him. Verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. Well, I don't know exactly what triggered that, but I do know this. Her shock and her fear at the sight of Samuel, who she doesn't really know it's Samuel yet, indicates that she never experienced an appearance from somebody she was supposed to be calling up from the dead. Or else, why be shocked? I mean, if she was used to this, oh, here's Samuel or somebody. God, not the witch, granted this request of Saul. And God did what the witch could never do. God has every right, and he exercises that right from time to time, to overrule where he is not permitted to rule. And aren't we glad? That's called sovereignty. God has the prerogative to interfere with anything he wants. Joshua 24 tells a story about Balaam. Balaam tried to curse the Jews, but God kept interfering. But I would not listen to Balaam, God said. Therefore, he continued to bless you, so I delivered you out of his hands. Pharaoh's magicians, I almost said musicians, they could have been musicians who were magicians. The M&M gang. I mean, <laughs> all right. I'm sorry, I get, I get these goofy pictures in my head of they're wearing hats and playing harps with their hands. Pharaoh's musicians, uh, magicians, sorry, they brought up the frogs to the land they had this power because God allowed it. Exodus 8, verse 7. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs from the land of Egypt. Why? Why did God let them do this? To dramatize the superiority of Moses' God in the next few moves. Satan has power. That's what God is saying. But he does not have almighty power. It's subject there are real forces 
in the unseen world. They are, I mean, the evil that takes place on earth. Satan is behind it. Exodus 8, verse 18, the duel continues, the showdown between Moses and the magicians. Now, the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. Those were those biting bugs. And there's the point. God let them do a little bit, and then he shut it down, and that enhanced the victory. It was supposed to, in the minds of the Jews, and it worked for Caleb, and it worked for Joshua, because they knew who, what God was capable of, and they didn't back down when they saw the giants. Um, plenty of football teams have not backed down when they've seen the giants. <laughs> the people who employ the spiritism imagine that they are talking to the departed ones when they are really talking to demons. Hell... Is very serious about this. And 1 Corinthians, Paul says, rather the things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Now, sacrifice not limiting it to a blood offering. It means their religion, their practices. It's encompassing. He says, and I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. That means you can. You can make contact with the demon world. You just can't close it back up. They don't just leave. They're the rude guests (laughs) to take over your house when you're still in it. That's what demon possession is. Demon oppression. It's uh, the next, the the preliminary step. Paul says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Hell, it influences. Very active again, again, amongst church-going Born-again Christians, too. Active. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. They were in the faith, and they left the faith. That is what that means. And I don't care what your theology is, you can't undo that statement. The word is apostasy. It's to fall away from. Well, you can't fall away from that which you were not at, or with, or there. You have to be there to fall from it. And, I mean, can you get fired from a job you didn't have? No, you cannot. He says, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. They teach, they're active, they influence. You don't have to know it's them. People don't wake up in the morning, I think I'm going to, some may, (laughs) I think I'm going to find out what demons would like me to think. What they do is they just start stepping away from God into the world. Until finally they bump into the wrong group. And Paul is saying, I'm telling you this. God is telling me this. This is going to happen. And it's happening. The church is more apostate now, I think, than any time in history. And the Internet is the one driving. Now, you know, I'm not saying the Internet is all bad. I mean, you get some good deals on the Internet. It can't be bad. Uh, but uh, there's also that evil side. Verse 13. We got a ways to go. We better speed it up. It's amazing how slowly you can talk with an ear clog. And the king said to her, do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So she doesn't say, oh, that's Samuel. She doesn't recognize him. And uh, she's not doing very well at her job. But she's going to get paid anyway. She's actually a nice person. which really is. Uh, but she's going to hell. And uh, they're going to be actually nice people in hell because they aren't nice people with God. 
that's what it comes down to. Uh, you know, you can see people nice with pets and mean with humans. And that's just like, man, this is not right. So I saw one bumper sticker today. My child has four paws. Well, that's kind of creepy, lady. I wanted, I, wanted, I wanted to say, that child was switched at birth. <laughs> Where'd you give birth at the veterinary? Anyway. I mean, I'm sure she's just loving pets, and here I come with my criticisms. That's why people don't like me after a while. They like, won't shut up. Anyway, she's fear-stricken. Here's fear-stricken Saul telling her not to be afraid. He supposes that he can just deactivate God's law without consequence. She says, I saw a spirit descending out of the earth. The Hebrew term here, again, to translate, this could have given us a little help, but nobody would have been confusing here if they had been too literal. The Hebrew word for spirit, I saw a spirit, is Elohim. Elsewhere translated God. Context is essential. When Now in the age of texting, if someone says, I can't, BC, and we know they're saying because. We know they're not referring to the birth of Christ because of the context. Unless they say, uh, Christ has been here since, you know, 1 BC. The context means a lot. Uh, we practice it all the time. Uh, so the, here it is, the, the case too. El, you, the use of the word Elohim. The idea is that she saw a divine, to her, the spirit that came up was divine in authority, in appearance. It had that effect, and that's what she says. I saw a divine come up. That's her testimony. That means accurate. Like the people, what did you see when you died on the operating table? I saw a bright light. Well, I didn't die, and I saw a bright light. <laughs> you, you don't have to do you be so dramatic to see a light. I mean, you could just okay. I, I I don't I don't accept their testimony. Yeah, they saw what they saw. That doesn't mean that somehow God was speaking to them. We don't see them turning to Christ and preaching the word of God. We see them going on interviews. Why you know they saw what they saw when they felt they were dead on the operating table. Anyhow. Um, God owns everything. He rules everything. Isaiah 44, verse 24. Thus says Yahweh, your Redeemer, and he who formed you from the womb. That ought to make you feel loved. I'm serious. And one who bought you back. Uh, I am Yahweh who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of the babblers, the diviners, I read that wrong. Who frustrates the signs of the babblers and drives diviners mad. Who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness. You gotta love. Isaiah is so intelligent in his writings. He talks about places and details, geography, science. He just was a very intelligent prophet. Not that the other ones were dummies or anything like that. But he just had a, a, a broad vocabulary and, and understanding. And to hear it come out here, God using it, is, is, is quite remarkable. Isaiah 44, 24 is what I was reading from. He continues in Samuel chapter 28 now, verse 14. So he said to her, what is his form? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped his, with his face to the ground and bowed down. 
Samuel is allowed by God, granted by God, to appear in his old form so that Saul can recognize him because Samuel's going to preach to him in a minute. I mean, he doesn't show up when Samuel was like 19. I mean, they would have been like, who is that? I mean, and he's got the cloak on, evidently, you know, it's like the, the hood and the cape with a hood on it. Uh, probably as he was older, to keep, keep warm, he kept his cloak close by. And uh, so God can bring up someone at any stage in their life. The transfiguration of Moses and, and Elijah on Mount Carmel, I mean, they weren't nine years old. They were the, uh, Adam, when God created Adam, he didn't create him, you know, a five-year-old. He created him as a grown man. He had, you know, I don't know if he had his wisdom teeth or not, but he had adult teeth. So this is the thing about creation. You look at, a, you know, when God created the universe, he created trees at a thousand years old if he wanted to. I mean, you cut them off. Look at all those rings. He just made this yesterday. I mean, he's got moves. Uh, God can create something in a matured state. Uh, I don't have any problem with that. Again, if you have a problem with Genesis 1-1, it all falls apart for you, and you become like Saul. So anyway, uh, this shows that uh, to us, the living, that death is not an unconscious state. Uh, Jesus gave a parable of the, the participants in the parable were dead and gone, yet they were very much uh, in dialogue. And uh, we read of several of these in Scripture. One at the resurrection of Christ, Matthew 27, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Well, again, they had to appear in a, in a state that they would be recognized by those who knew them, or else the whole thing falls apart. Uh, Saul, here he bows only because he wants something, it's very insulting coming from him. Verse 15, Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me any more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. It's like, oh, look, I'm not interested in God or anybody. I just need to know what i got to do here. It's just all about me. He's so selfish, this man. He didn't care what others felt. Samuel comes up, why are you disturbing me? He says, I don't care about disturbing you. I got a problem. I don't care that you're disturbed. It's all about me, Samuel. Didn't you figure that out when you were living? God, here he is, not barred from speaking through these practices that he forbids. That's his overruling. I'm forbidding witchcraft. But I'm going to grant it on this occasion. I'm going, to, I'm going to hijack it. I don't know if that's right. Not hijack. I'm just going to take it over. How about that one? Uh, so God forbids such practices. He's not restricted from them. I mean, the devil can't meet and say, don't let God hear this. I mean, if Satan is having a counsel with God, he knows everything. So it'd be just, he rules everything and every part of everything. But they are the dead in a conscious state. And again, when Jesus used the parable to tell the truth about afterlife with Lazarus and the rich man, uh, he used the, the name Lazarus, a real person. And the purpose of a parable is to illustrate truth. Well, you don't illustrate truth by using a lie and still have yourself marked down in the righteous column. 
And so when the Lord used that parable to illustrate his truth, it was a true story. That's the point. Here in verse 15, God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore. Well, we, again, we pity a man who's lost his sight or lost his health or his hearing in one ear. Uh, but what do we think about a man who's lost his God? You, you can't read the story without feeling some pity for Saul. But then you say, wait a minute. What about his victims? And, and then you quickly, you, you know, see, well, that's, you know, he, no one put a gun to his head or a sword. Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? This is interesting. It indicates to me that the righteous dead want nothing more to do with this life. It's not like, wow, how's everybody been? It's like, I missed this place. Is is that a new shirt? It's it's just totally not interested. Like when when Elijah and Moses on Mount Carmel. I mean, they didn't say, wow, this is the promise. Moses didn't say, this is the promised land. He didn't didn't even look over at the guys. Who are they? They just talked to the Lord about the coming crucifixion in such a way that the apostles would not forget And that added to their faith and service. Anyway, Samuel does not know the reason why he is summoned. This indicates that the dead are not monitoring us. And I am very happy about that. I mean, I don't look up, Mom, did you see that? I mean, no, she didn't see that. She doesn't care. And uh, so I cringe whenever I hear a professed Christian say or hint that they have dialogue with the dead. They should know better. I know it's tough. I know you lose a loved one. I've been there. And it's just, it's just the draw is so powerful. But you, you got to hang tough. Uh, verse 16. Then Samuel said, so, and let me pause. Just redirect those to, to the Lord. Talk to him instead. Um, that's your defense. The Lord is your shield and your buckler. Uh, Anyway, verse 16, then Samuel said, so why do you ask me, seeing Yahweh has departed from you and has become your enemy? There it is. He says, why don't you get out of my face? Because you're now the enemy of God, and I don't want to be seen talking to you. This is, I mean, who does the Bible say this to? You mean God can say this to people? You are now an enemy. Yes, Now, there are pathetic souls that are not there, but there are others that are there. And this is being told to us by the attendance or the combination of witnesses, the witch and Saul's assistants. They're telling this story because Saul's going to be dead the next day. Verse 17. And Yahweh has done for himself as he spoke by me, for Yahweh has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, neighbor David. Nothing new that was told in 1 Samuel 15. Saul, in many ways, is a type of Satan. Parallels was just right there. He had been endowed with a great honor, Israel's first king. He lost his position by opposing God. And he sought to hold his influence by using force in spite of God. That's what Satan is doing. He's the God of this age, trying to retain power. And that's what Saul had done. And, uh, well, we can continue with many verses. Verse 18, because you did not obey the voice of Yahweh, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, 
Therefore, Yahweh has done this thing to you this day. And so there's more reasons. Just heaping the reasons on, including the one found in First Chronicles. It's just more reasons why he is rejected. Your inability to listen to God. He, Saul felt obeying God was just overrated. He did. In verse 19, Moreover, Yahweh will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Yahweh will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. You'll be dead tomorrow. That's what he is telling him. You'll be in Sheol, that is the abode of the dead, before the crucifixion uh, and ascension of Christ uh, from uh, the, to liberating the captives, as we read about, for example, in Ephesians 4. Uh, Samuel does not say which compartment. He is not for him to say. He said, you'll be dead tomorrow. You'll be in Sheol, the underworld. But he does not say whether he's going to be in righteous shield or unrighteous shield. It's too general of a statement. And so um, Ecclesiastes 3, Solomon writes, All go to one place. All are from the dust and all return to the dust. It's a general statement. He says everybody dies. Uh, of course, there are a couple of exceptions. Uh, but the idea is that uh, Samuel is not being specific. He is being general enough. At the very least, you'll be dead tomorrow. What did Saul get from contacting the dead? Death. That's what he got. He reaped what he sowed. Verse, I mean, the lessons are they're just amazing. Verse 20. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all that day or night. So he collapses because he's not ready. He's not ready to stand face to face with God, with eternity, with judgment. Amos, 12, Amos 4, verse 12, Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. It comes a day of reckoning. He's sick with dread. He collapses on the ground. He'll still be on the ground when we get to verse 23. He's not eating all day because he's sick with fear and dread. And this from wasted years of hunting a righteous man. We never read of him repenting. We read of him being sorry but not repenting before God. Oops, David, sorry, I shouldn't have done that to you. But he doesn't go to God and say, Lord, forgive me. Verse 21, neither did Judas Iscariot. The woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, look, your maidservant will obey your voice and I have put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Verse 22, now therefore please heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. So here's the occultist with a kind heart. Her soul is lost, but she's still a nice person. Um, just because you're born again doesn't mean you're automatically going to be, you know, a nice person. You've got to, we got to fight for everything. We have to press into righteousness. The flesh is not going to cooperate with you. Everything is a fist fight down here. Verse 23 that's why Samuel wasn't interested. <laughs> He's not interested in coming back. Why did you disturb me? No fist fighting here. Uh, verse 23, but he refused and said, I will not eat. 
So his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he heeded their voice. Okay, well, what is for dinner? And then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. Well, there's no time to leaven the bread. That's why, you know, this is going to take a while. They didn't have refrigerators, of course, so they kept the animals alive, the, the, the you know, the calves and uh, other little animals, uh, big ones too, but they could slaughter them. Abraham did this when he had visitors. Uh, so the unleavened bread was the appetizer and the calf was the meal. It says the woman had a fatted calf, as I mentioned, lambs and kids, and they slaughtered and served. So that took time. He was in the house a while, you know, having a poor old meat party. Um, Verse 25, so she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. So the witch at Endor remains an example to us of one who, while doing good through human kindness, nonetheless did evil in defying God. She wasn't supposed to do this. She knew she wasn't supposed to do it. She admitted, you're trying to get me killed? Saul's put these people out, you know. And yet, she's doing it anyway. So her defiance is against God, no matter how she treats humans. And she is remembered as the one who chose to be an accomplice to him and his personal disobedience to God by seeking the underworld, the last, the last recorded meal of Saul was in the kitchen of a witch. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, again, we are so privileged to consider so many lessons. You've preserved this big book, the Bible, for us to study and to be made stronger and to avoid the influences from hell and to be subject to the influences from heaven. And may we do a better job every single day of our lives because of your Holy Spirit. May, Lord Jesus, you get us home safely, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.